0: Talking about uh, Galatians uh, chapter four verses twenty-one through thirty-one. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. Um, if you want oh yes. So we, if you need a Bible, just uh, raise your hand. Leon's back there, passing them out. Um, so uh, let's read. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman his son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise these things may be taken figuratively for the woman represent two covenants one covenant is from mount sinai and bears children who are to be slaves this is hagar now hagar stands for mount sinai in arabia and corresponds to the present city of jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does not... But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Um, So, um, as we talk about this passage, um, what we want to think about um, is how are we the children of the promise? And what I'm going to propose through, throughout this um, teaching is uh, that the key to being a child of promise is not in what you do, uh, but in your attitude towards God and in your motivations in what you do. Um, and so uh, there's a a separation between, um, or there's a difference between doing something because it's going to get me salvation um, or going to please... Um, to show me to be, you know, a Christian and doing something because I want to please God, because I'm seeking after God's will. Um, And so I want you to to hold those two um, in your mind and kind of think to yourself, how am I trying to earn my salvation in my own life? Like, what am I doing that's an attempt to uh, gain favor with God by what I do? Okay? Um, So... The central teaching in Galatians we've, we've been through um, is, is Paul's trying to refute this false gospel of the Judaizers, and he's trying to proclaim the true gospel of Christ. Um, he's holding up freedom that's found in the gospel against the forces of the world um, that wish to enslave us again to the bondage of sin and law. So the inclination of our heart is to change the gospel and to make it hinge on our own actions. Um, We put ourselves at the center of the story and we say, what must I do to be saved? Um, And so we erect systems of rules and laws and we do this today in churches and in our our culture here. Um, And it's a misguided attempt to show our own righteousness. Um, And Paul is forceful throughout Galatians. He says the gospel isn't about our salvation. The gospel is about God's glorification. Um, And... So the gospel is not about what I can do, it's what I can't do. Um, And the gospel is about submission to God in my own powerlessness to save myself. Um, And through that, the establishment of the freedom in Christ. Um, And so in this particular passage, I know it's difficult to understand. Um, It's kind of an obscure, a lot of obscure references. Um, But we're going to break it down. And basically what Paul's saying is what I'm teaching you isn't new. It goes all the way back to Abraham. Okay? Um, and it goes all the way back to the people you claim to follow. So, um, in the first passage here, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of the promise. So if we go back to Genesis, um, obviously I don't have time to go through all of these, these stories and, and read, read them all. I encourage you to do it um, this week as you kind of go through this passage. But basically the story is in Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham. And Abraham was a, Abraham was a pagan, worshipped the sun and the moon. He was a guy, um, he, didn't, he didn't know God. Um, and God came to him and said follow me and i will make you a great nation i will turn you into i'll turn you into a great nation who seeks me and and abraham believed him and the bible says in in 12 uh, chapter 12 verse 5 or 6 um it says abraham believed god and it was credited to, to him as righteousness okay um and so as as you go through Abraham's story, so God said, well, Abraham, come down to Canaan, and I'll give you this land for your inhabitants to inhabit, or for your descendants to inhabit. Um, and so Abraham comes down, there's a famine in the land, he goes to Egypt. And in Egypt, he is afraid, um, because his wife is beautiful, and so he goes and he says, this is my sister. And of course, you know, Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, takes his wife and makes her his wife. Um, and then a plague breaks out in, in among pharaoh 's uh, servants, and Pharaoh says, "What have you done and basically the the essence of this is abraham didn 't trust god um, he he lost his faith he said i you know i don 't trust you to take care of my wife um, and so you know this is learning experience for avian but but in in Genesis fifteen God renews the covenant, and so we see god 's faithfulness at work in the person he 's chosen all right and so he says, um, oh wait, oh wait, Genesis 15, I'm almost there, sorry. Um, we see Abraham's fear again. Okay, God's given him the promise, I'm going to turn you into a great nation. I'm going to give you this land. And Abraham says, okay, how can I help you do that, um, basically. And, and Abraham doesn't believe that God can do it through Sarah. Um, now the fact is, Sarah was 100 years old. Um she was long past the age when she could naturally bear children, um, and so Abraham said basically didn't believe God that God would produce children through Sarah and so he took his his wife's uh, servant, Hagar, and slept with her and had a child um, and that child is named Ishmael okay um but through that, God basically, he came to Abraham and said, okay, that's not the child that's going to fulfill the promise. Okay, He said, despite what you've done, despite your fear, despite your sin in this, I'm still going to make you into a great nation because you believe me, it was credited to you as righteousness. I'm going to still make you into a great nation, but not because of anything you've done. And you're going to see my glory at work, and it's going to be something that I've done. Um, and so... Um, if you read through uh, Genesis 17, um, we see God's faithfulness in renewing the covenant with, with Abraham after he's had uh, this son Ishmael. Um, and God comes to him and says, this time your your wife, Sarah, is going to have a child. Um, and Abraham renews the covenant and again he trusts God. And in the fullness of time, a year later, Abraham, um, Abraham has, uh, yeah. Abraham, uh, Isaac is born, um, and so Isaac is the the child born as a result of the promise. Okay, and he it is through Isaac that uh, the promises of God are fulfilled in Scripture. Um, and so, at the heart of this, what I want us to see. And what Paul is referencing here, I think, um, is that Abraham, that that God's promises came because they were God's promises, not because of anything that Abraham did. And that Abraham couldn't alter that promise. Um, and it was not because Abraham had a son with Hagar that the promise came. It was through uh, through God's promise. And... We can see that Paul explains it in another place. Um, I'm not sure if I have it here. Yeah. Uh, Paul explains it in another place in Romans. Okay, he says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, and we see the evidence of this. If you read through Genesis chapter 22, what happens in Genesis chapter 22 is God comes to Abraham and says, Offer up your son Isaac as a sacrifice to me. Um, and Abraham says, Okay. And he takes his son up and puts him on the altar. Um, and as they're going up, he says, God will provide the lamb. Okay, He has faith in God that God's promises will still be fulfilled. Um, and so so he trusts God with his son and basically gives him back. Um, and the key here is that it's through faith, okay, not through anything that Abraham did. Um, so it's a reminder, as we go through, we can't earn our salvation through what we do. Okay, our faith is credited as righteousness. It is only by faith that you can be saved. Okay, um, so as we go on um, to the next passage here. Um, these things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Abarabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. So, in the course of uh, Jewish history, um, or Israelite history, Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, and they all went into Egypt, and they were in slavery. Um, and then God came and saw his people in slavery and said, I'm going to bring you out of bondage. I'm going to bring you out of slavery. Okay? All that you need to do is trust me. Okay? Um, and he comes with a promise. Um, and this is where we're going to see what this Mount Sinai okay, Um, at Mount Sinai is where the promise comes, okay, and so God says, God says to people, I'm going to bring you out of slavery, and the promise is, um, if we, if you look in, uh, well, I will read it, Uh, Exodus 14, verses 13 to 14, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today, The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you need only to be still. There was a promise. Um, But the Israelites fell into the same sorts of sin that Abraham fell into. Um, If we look at Exodus 32, um, while Moses was up on the mountain getting the law from God, uh, what happened is the Israelites grew afraid. And they said, we need to have control over our own gods. We need to have control over our own salvation. So we're going to build a god. And so they built a golden calf to worship. Um, while Moses was receiving the law, okay, um, and again, Numbers 13 and 14, God took them and brought them to the land. And they sent spies into the land to scope it out, to see what it was like. And the spies came back and said, it's a beautiful Land flowing with milk and honey, and and and, but they said, "But the people are large and scary, and we can't go in there, right?" And so they didn't trust God again, basically. Um, and so there's this idea, in in Israeli history, they they didn't trust God to do what He had promised. Um, and so what came through that is the law, and Exodus uh, 20, 18 and 19. At the, at the foot of Mount Sinai, which is uh, uh, you know, what, what Paul's referencing here, is, is the, the Israelites said, um, the people saw the thunder and lightning, which was God on the mountain, um, and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, and they trembled in fear, and they stayed at a distance, and they said to Moses, speak to us yourself, i.e., don't have God speak to us directly. Speak to us our yourself, and we will listen. Give us a law. Give us something we can do to be saved. Um, and they said, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And so in fear, the Israelites asked for a law that they could follow. They asked for something that they could do to be saved. What must I do to be saved? Okay. Um, and so... Um, Yeah. Okay. Get there in a minute. Okay. So the question is, what was the purpose of the law um, that was given at Mount Sinai? And the purpose I would propose is is not um, intended to bring life, as the Israelites thought. It was not intended to bring salvation. If we read Romans three nineteen through twenty, it says now. We may know, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. And so essentially, God said, in giving the law, God was acknowledging that the Israelites weren't ready for faith. Um, they, had, they had rejected it. And so he said, well, this law is going to make you conscious of your sin. And we see that in Leviticus 26. Now, It's a long chapter. You can kind of read through it. But it sets out the rewards and punishments for uh, following the law or not following the law, for obedience and disobedience. Um, and essentially what it says is you're going to disobey. And this is, these are the consequences that the nation of Israel is going to see. And, um, oh, I have Romans 3, 19, 20 right there. You can read it. Um, But at the end, he sets out the promise. Again. If they will confess their sins and the sins of their fathers, this is after this whole list of punishments for disobedience that the Israelites are going to face. But if they confess their sins and the sins of their fathers, their treachery against me and their hostility toward me, which made me hostile towards them, so that I sent them into the land of their enemies... Then, when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pay for their sin, I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. The argument Paul's making when he brings up, um, when he says one covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves, he's saying the covenant at Mount Sinai, the law that was given, was intended to bring slavery. It was intended to enslave the people to the law and to sin. It was intended to make us conscious of sin. That's the point of it. That's why it was given. It wasn't given to save the Israelites. It wasn't given to, to make them holy or righteous. It wasn't given to make them God-like. It was given to make them conscious of sin. But there's the promise at the end of it. If they confess their sins and the sins of their fathers, their treachery against me and their hostility toward me and, and, and on, I will remember them and I will save them. Okay, It's the same promise that we find in the New Testament in John, First John 1 9 where it says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Um, and so what Paul's saying is this argument isn't new. It goes all the way back to Abraham. From Abraham onwards, the law brought death. And faith brought righteousness. The law brought death, and faith brought righteousness. Okay. So. um, So, through all this... um, what, what God had set out, these punishments for disobed, disobedience, that the Israelites lived through. They disobeyed, they didn't follow the law, and they ended up in exile. Um, and, and this next passage here, is, as we kind of work through 21 to 31, verse 27, uh, For it is written, uh, Be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman, than of her who has a husband. So what's that mean? If you take it just this passage, it doesn't seem to mean much of anything. Um, I mean, it's difficult to understand. Uh, I mean, obviously it means something, but you know, I mean, I don't want to like, yeah. Okay. So be glad, O barren woman who bears no children, break forth and cry aloud, you have no labor pains, because more of the children of desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Why go back to this quote from Isaiah? This quote is from Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1. Um, Now, if you read Isaiah, um, it's hard to take one little verse and understand what it's talking about because Isaiah is a book that kind of rises and falls, ebbs and flows, lots of different themes about exile, judgment, and promises of restoration. So, uh so it's hard to take this one passage, but if we look at the passage surrounding this, what Paul is referencing, Paul's assuming basically through this whole passage, as I've said, you know, Paul's pointing the people that he's writing to back to his previous teaching. He said, When I he, when I was here, remember I taught you all this stuff. I taught you all this. He says, think back to that passage in Isaiah I taught you about. Okay? And if we look, we're just going to take a brief look at verses uh our chapter 51 to 55. And, you know, again, I don't have time to go through all of this, but, you know, it's like these big, like, ideas. I know I've said that before to you, okay? Uh, I'm sorry. But, so 51, 17 through 23, and you can read through this, there's judgment. Because of the sin of Israel, they were judged. Okay? And this starts basically from where we left off with the law there's judgment. Okay? God's punishment is poured out. Okay. Then in 52, 7 through 12, the Lord has a plan to redeem his people. Okay. There's hope coming. And then as you move through verse, chapters 52 and 53, there's a promise. God has provided a way for our sins to be paid for. It's a very famous passage about uh, the suffering of Christ um, and, and the way that our sins were paid for and, and, and redeemed. And then verse 54 is a vision of that redemption. Okay, our chapter fifty-four is a vision of that redemption. Okay, what that redemption is going to look like, um, and then verse our chapter fifty-five is an invitation: Come and seek the Lord. Come, buy and eat, you are who thir- you who are thirsty. Um, so, I encourage you to read through that um, with this in mind, this kind of bigger picture. But the point. That he points to is this vision of redemption and glory. Who is going to be redeemed? And this is a theme that runs through Scripture Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Barren woman was the most disgraced, one of the most shamed people in the society, the woman who could not bear children. Okay? Um, those who had no labor pains, um, the desolate woman. Okay? But he says, Be glad. Blessed is this person. Okay. Um, more are the children of the desolate woman. She will have children are a sign of blessing. The desolate woman will have more blessing, more honor than the than the woman who had many children. And and this is a theme that runs through the teachings of Christ. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The first shall be last. The promise was fulfilled through Sarah, not through Hagar. This is a theme we see again and again. Blessed are the broken and the lost. I came to seek the lost. Right? Um, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. This is a theme that runs through. And it's not because you don't have any money that you're blessed. You know That's not the issue. Um, but the point is that in order to receive salvation and redemption, you have to recognize your own need for salvation. Um, you have to recognize your own poverty of spirit, your own inability to do anything to bring about your own salvation. So, Paul's reminding his readers you're citizens of the New Jerusalem, you're citizens of the kingdom of God. But you didn't get there by doing all these things. You got there because you said, I can't do it anymore. I don't have the strength to be saved. And you turned yourself over to God. You were the barren woman. Remember that and hold on to that position. Because that is the means to your salvation, um, and um, yeah, we'll yeah. here we got time. Uh, in in Matthew nineteen, I just want to bring up a story. It's a really famous, uh, well-known story, but there's a rich young man who comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, what good thing must I do to be saved? Um, And Jesus says, why do you ask me? You have the law. There's, you know, there's only um, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. And the man says, which ones? He says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, so on and so forth. And he says, "All the young man says, all these I've kept, I've done it. I've done everything I need to be saved. I have done it. And then Jesus says, well, then go sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And the young man leaves disgraced. The point isn't that he had money. The point isn't that he was rich. Jesus says it's harder for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The point isn't that he had money or that he was rich. The point was he thought he had it all together. He thought that he could save himself. And so it was impossible for him to be saved. Because the more we think we have it all together, the harder it is for us to be saved. Um, So this brings me to the last section, which actually part of it is on this page. So, Now you brothers, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born of the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. He's saying, and my PowerPoint, I'm sorry, is no longer, but should be longer. But... (laughs) He's saying, You're the child of the promise. You're free. You're not enslaved. You're free. Um, you are no longer enslaved to the law. God's promise is that His kingdom is being established. We are His agents as we seek Him and seek His will, but we will not bring the kingdom of God. God is doing it. It is His promise, and He's going to fulfill it. And He's saying, This is Israel's story. This is Abraham's story. And this is your story. You were walking in darkness, and you were a slave to sin. Then the light shone into that darkness, and you were taught the law. Your sin was revealed to you. You were enslaved to sin, or you were enslaved to the law. It was to show you your sin. And through the law, you saw your death. You realized you were dead, but there was a promise. There was a promise, a promise of restoration. Turn to Christ and you will be restored. And this is, Paul's just saying, you are the children of the promise. You took that promise. You had faith. It was credited to you as righteousness. You were free. He says, When I came to teach you, you were enslaved to the law of sin and death. You were Hagar's offspring, bound like the Israelites to the law. You trusted in your own salvation. You thought that by following the rules you could gain God's favor. But what a wretched condition you were in. You knew your own failures, but hoped to overcome them, knowing you would never be able to. You were dead. You were no more capable of entering the kingdom of God than a dead man, than than a rock, than this chair. But God wakened you, he called you to life, and he showed you the way of the Spirit by his teaching I gave you. I taught you to be free, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, to live in the Spirit. And have you forgotten? Have you turned back to slavery? Have you given up your freedom to go back to slavery, to be the child of Hagar? Didn't you know where that leads? You were there. You were dead. Don't enslave yourself to the law of sin and death by turning from the pursuit of the Spirit to pursue the law. It's not the law that makes you a Christian. It's your recognition of your own weakness and your powerlessness and turning to Christ with a repentant heart. It's God's grace that allows you to inhabit the kingdom of God, not your own actions. Um, I was thinking of this uh, when we were singing Amazing Grace there's the line how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed I think if we go back and think about that, that the moment when we became a Christian when we accepted God and we saw our own weakness and if we return to that continually where was I when I accepted Christ what was I what condition was I in um, because there's two avenues, even as Christians, that are offered to us by, offered, that are open to us. There's, there's two ways. There's the false hope that depends on our own effort, that says, I can do it. I'm capable of fulfilling the law myself. And that becomes even more tempting the closer we get to God, because the closer we come to God, The more we have fruit, and we're going to talk about that next week, the the more we become holy, the closer we come to God. And the closer the law comes to being in reach, and the easier it is to say, I can do it by myself. And there's that temptation for all of us, particularly for those who have been Christians for longer periods of time, because you forget that moment when you were powerless. You forget that moment when you didn't have God's power within you. Um, and and that's dangerous because it puts our salvation under our own control, and it gives us a justification for considering ourselves better than other people, and it creates divisions in the body that say, I'm, I'm here and you're here. Um, and so it's important for us as Christians to continue to be on guard um, and maintain our focus on Christ to give glory to God and recognize our own powerlessness um, because uh, through the law comes sin and death. The law was not intended as a means of salvation. It was intended to burden and enslave um, and to reveal the weight of our sin. So, I encourage us to stop. um, Wait. Yeah. So, yeah. When we stop trusting God and start trusting ourselves, we're doomed to failure. And this happens to Christians. This is not unique to people who are not saved. Um, If you read Romans 7, 7 through 23, there's a powerful passage where where Paul talks about uh, the effect of of the law in his own life. Um, Where he says, What shall I say is the law sin? No, um, but I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I I would not have known what covening was unless the law had not said, Do not covet. And he goes on, you know, speaking of of how tempting the law is to Christians, precisely because we have been made more holy in, through our relationship with God. Um, but I encourage us to, to hold on to that second avenue of salvation, which is offered, which runs through Jesus and the cross, which says, I am weak, and to hold on to that weakness and, and powerlessness, um, because we're the children of the promise, which is what Paul is reminding us here. He's saying all the way back to Abraham, the children of the promise, the weak and the powerless were the ones that were held up, and the ones that believed were credited with righteousness. Um, and so, yeah, we are not children of the slave woman; we're children of the free woman. Let's hold on to that and glory in it, um, and and just sing praises to God. So that's all I got. Oh yeah. Uh, so now we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna have a time of tithe and offering. If you're new here, uh, you know, feel free. Uh, please, you know, don't put anything in the offering. But if you're, we see this as an act of worship. So if you are um, a believer and you want to worship with us in that way, that's that's fine. Um, and then uh, we're also gonna do communion. We ask uh, that uh, we're gonna take communion. Just ask that if you're not a believer, uh, that you. Uh, Allow the elements to pass by. So, anything else? Just real quick, I'm going to pray for this time of tithe and, and, and communion. Lord,